Welcome back, everyone, to the Enneagram Journey Podcast. Suzanne's guest today is Enneagram 6, Jamie Ivey. This conversation was so great that we broke it into two episodes. Uh, Suzanne and Jamie talk about their generational differences, talk about women in the church. They, of course, talk about Jamie's sixness as a mother, as a wife, and professionally. Uh, You've probably heard of Jamie from her insanely popular and fantastic podcast, The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. And then also she has recently written a great book, If You Only Knew, My Unlikely Unavoidable Story of Becoming Free. Another thing that they talk about is social media and Twitter. And I want to go ahead and get out in front of this that I have since talked to Suzanne. And yes, she does say that there's only 140 characters. It's up to 280, but it doesn't change the point of their conversation. So please enjoy today's episode. Uh, If you're in the Dallas area this Saturday, November 10th, Suzanne has an all-day workshop, The Anagram and Relationships, and it is going to be awesome as well. So visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com, register for that, and enjoy the show. And before next week's episode, go out and buy and read If You Only Knew by Jamie Ivey. That way you will be in touch and in the know with next week's conversation. It's just a phenomenal book. And to be clear, it's not just for women. I got a copy. I read it. I loved it. All of you men, get out there and get your copy as well. There are no more plugs to be made. Y'all please enjoy Suzanne and Jamie's conversation. My guest today is Jamie Ivey. If you don't know her from the happy hour, you should. That's her podcast, and it's one of the most fun Sunday mornings I've ever had. I, that makes me so happy. It was really great. I, I, you said that you were a little nervous, but I was a little nervous. And then we just started talking, and I thought, this is so fun. I told someone the other day, you've been one of my favorite guests on the show ever. Oh, that makes me Because happy. for a lot of reasons, like our conversation, but I also I came in full of nerves. And as soon as we started talking, I wasn't nervous anymore. And so that was good. Yeah, we have a significant age difference, but personality-wise, we're a lot the same. And uh, we have a shared appreciation for the integrity of stories, I would say. So we'll talk more about that later. So let's start with, um, I'd love to hear you tell everybody about your number and how you finally landed there. What helped you? Well, I will also start to say, I am definitely not an expert on my number, but that's why you're here. Right. So that's right. So this is good. Uh, well, I read The Road Back to You probably a year ago, probably around a year ago, and really landed that I was a six. I'm a six. And then it wasn't until I read your newest book, um, The Path Between Us, that I went, there's no doubt that I'm a six. Yeah. If I ever thought I was anything else, it was this. When you talked about the way that the world make sixes feel the commercials playing off of I thought this is actually my life this is actually what happens in my head um and you one thing you said too was it is I'm going to use this word and I'm not sure if this is your exact word you can correct me I'm almost degrading when someone says that's a dumb irrational fear right, right. and patronizing. I patronizing patronizing and I thought to myself I don't know that I've ever said that to my husband but I feel that when he says, Jamie, this is dumb that you're worried about. Or this is dumb that you're afraid of this. Right. 
And I felt a little validated when I read that. And I told him that, and actually, he received it quite well. Oh, that's good. Yeah, he did. And I just said, this is actually how I feel. Like, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not trying to sit in these fears. I'm just telling you, this is what I battle. I'll, I'll say stuff to him. Like, I'll give you an example. We'll be walking down the street, and we'll get to our destination, and I'll go, did you worry about our whole family getting hit by a car and dying? And he'll look at me and go, I've never thought that in my entire life. And I say, I think that every single day. Yeah. Whatever circumstance I'm in, I go all the way. Yeah. And so reading about it, I thought, I mean, this is, this is my life. Yep. This is what happens in my head on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I think is, um, I, I'm even kind of fascinated by observing you and me in this uh, awareness, if we walked into a room, we're both uh, full of people, like 100 people. We're both uh, self-confident. We're both extroverts. We're both uh, very friendly. We both can talk to anybody. And we are both very insecure. You have, you have, you have said exactly what I feel Every time I walk yeah. into a room. And people will look at me and go, you stand on stages. You have a podcast. You're extroverted. You can carry on conversations well. Like People love you. And I'll say, but inside, mm -hmm. I literally feel like a little schoolgirl, and I'm so scared. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So what do you think that's about? I don't know. I mean, it definitely for me, I can see I'm afraid of something. Am I afraid that someone won't like me? Am I afraid that I don't belong? I, I, for me, in the work that I do, a lot of times I feel like I don't belong here. I don't know how I got here. Yeah. They must have sent the wrong invitation out. On the flip side, I am confident in myself, I think. Yeah, me too. Once I start talking, you know, if I'm invited to speak somewhere, it doesn't really matter what size the audience is. Once I'm doing my thing, I'm good. Can I be really vulnerable? Yeah. If I, and I've tried to explain this to my husband, if I walk into a room where nobody knows me, I actually feel more uncomfortable. If I walk into a room and they're like, this is Jamie Ivey, our speaker, I own it. Yeah. Because I know what they expect from me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here to do my job. So the question I'm asking myself is, am I um, more comfortable as this is our speaker, this is our teacher, Suzanne Stabile, because that's um, a role that I have learned to live into because I know that that's what God's call is for me. And then my new question following that is, and after I finish, is my question, do they want me, or is my question, is God well-pleased? Mm. And... I'm so sad to say, I think it's, do they want me? And that's a, that's a weird thing in two-ness. What does that look like in you as a six? I think I have to struggle with the same thing. Um, I say all the time when I walk into an event, um, to speak at an event, a church, a women's gathering, whatever it might be, I sometimes, what makes me so nervous is I wonder, what do they, who do they want? Do they want the Jamie they hear on the happy hour? Uh -huh. Or do they want Jamie to open up and walk through Matthew chapter 5, verse uh -huh. by verse? Yeah. And I feel like I can do both, but I don't know who you want. And so then at the end of the day, 
unfortunately, I may walk away going, did they like me instead of, is God pleased with what I did? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, that's when you go to three, that you're able to give them whichever Jamie they want. Which is, a, sometimes I feel, am I a fraud? Yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. Or am I just able to acclimate to my surroundings? Yeah. That's a three? Well, yeah, it's three space. It's okay, three yeah. energy. It's like after it's over, threes look at the externals that were shared and they wonder if that was real, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you make the move to nine, it's a completely different move than when you make the move to three. I um, don't know if you know that lots and lots of people, particularly women, can't figure out if they're a two or a six. Well, I think I told you this when when I took the online test or whatever, it told me I was a two. Yeah. I read the road back to you and said, there's no way I'm a two. And so I could see that struggle mm-hmm. of feeling like, am, am I supposed to be this maybe? What do you think? I mean, well, I think one of the questions that, that you and I might talk about for a minute is, um, are there similarities between two and six that exist only for women in the South? And are there similarities between two and six that exist only for women in the church? church. I knew, yeah, that, that would be my next question. Yeah. So what do you think? I would say yes. I would say that's why I would think maybe I tested as that because I think that's what I'm supposed to be. Because in some weird, well, it's not weird, in some way, the church in the past, and I think it's getting a lot better. I, I don't, I never want to bash the church. I think it's getting a lot better. Has somehow told women, this is what you're supposed to be. Yeah. This is your role. Right. Um, and I think we're moving away from that, thankfully. You know, we have women yeah. leaders who are yeah. saying, I can be a godly woman who loves God and loves his word and still be in leadership, still work, those mm-hmm. things. So I think that might be an internal struggle between women who have grown up in the South and in the church mm-hmm. to think, I think I should be a two. Twos look like they're really doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. So how old are you? 40. Okay, I'm 68 this week. You thought I was like 25 though, right? Uh, 30-ish. Okay, yeah. You look 25. <laughs> You look, you look 55. And Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what you were thinking. What we're going to take 10 years off. off both of our lives. <laughs> I am excited about women like you because women like me worked really hard mm. to make room for you. We thank you. And I'm worried about women like me who can't sit down and let you have the stage. Mm. Well, I, I, I want to come with full humility. Like, that's what my next question would you to you would be, what do we need to do to thank you for that? And then to graciously be able to share a stage, a position, a leadership, whatever. Um, for me personally, that's how I feel. I think more people my age feel that way than it seems. Um, I'm grateful for that because I am having an awareness. Uh, I come... I have a, a great marriage, a husband who supports me. I go to a great church that supports women. But I'm having a greater awareness that this is not the norm. Yep. And so I feel as though I want to be able to say thank you to the women before b- before us and also women in my circle and 10, 15 years below. Uh, we owe you a great thanks, and we can continue in the work. I love all that, of course. I'm concerned about the women my age who can't move over. Oh, yeah. And I, I, um, 
I think that has something to do with Enneagram number. And I think it has something to do with how relational people are. And there are no numbers on the Enneagram that are more relational than yours and mine. Mm -hmm. We are uh, both interested in the things that make up people's days, not just the things that make up people's lives. Mm. And I think culturally, in part because of social media, that we're beginning to live into a space of um, moments that make up people's lives as opposed to what you do today and where was goodness in all of that. And so I think um, I think people need to hear, and I, I feel sure that you're at a perfect place in terms of Enneagram knowledge to talk about what it's like to be a, a woman with a good, solid reputation for good, authentic work in 2018, soon to be 2019, and trying to deal with all of the negative chatter and fear-mongering and things are not okay and, like, how are you managing the anxiety in the reality and context of everything that's happening? Uh I don't know if what I do is good because I think it can, I think I can do it healthy or I can run and just plug my ears and put my head in the sand, mm-hmm. which is what I want to do. And which, if I'm honest, I do often because to me, sometimes I'm thinking that watching, it's why I'm not on Twitter. Mm. I hate Twitter. I cannot handle Twitter. It brings me anxiety because it's very fear-based and angry. And it's so angry. It's so angry. I just... It's not good for me because I can't just read that and let it go. Uh, and so there is a part of me that as being a six where I, I, have, I don't want to watch the news. My parents probably think I'm you know, not educated, but it, it isn't really a good place for me. I have other ways I get news. you know. Um, and so I think I can take it to extreme and just I don't care about anything that's happened in the world. I'm going to keep doing my job, mm-hmm. take care of my family, love the people in my church, and just do what God's asked me to do. There's some good in that. I think sometimes I can be extreme to where I wake up and go, wait, there's all these people that are being hurt by these things, mm-hmm. and I'm just not aware of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a bad thing. So there's that. But I feel healthy I say that with like a, you can tell me at the end, but I feel as I'm a healthy version of myself, mm-hmm. more healthy than I've been in a long time. Yeah. I think there's some real good reasons for that that we're going to talk about later. Okay. For how healthy you are. So um, I'm a little shocked that it's possible to pack so much anger and so much fear in 140 characters. Right. Or in a... You mean you're shocked that I feel that way or that no, it actually happens? No, I'm shocked happens? that it's possible. Yes. I'm so shocked that it's possible. And even the, like, I, I'm always looking for humor. Yeah. Even the humor is underhanded and snarky. Always. And it's not, it's not enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It's not enjoyable. Yeah. I, I'm a fan of Instagram and I may see fake lives, but at least I'm not fearful and angry and sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you have to work pretty hard to to be ugly and angry and mean on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where do you think your generation is with all of that? Anger and vitriol and snapping and... 
think people are having their voices. Maybe they feel as though they're being heard for some of the first times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I see, and again, I don't want to feel out of touch, but I see the pendulum swinging just a little bit more with people behind us mm-hmm. that I see a lot of anger actually coming from my generation and up. Mm-hmm. If Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I see people in their 20s who are having voices for change in a much gentle and kinder way than 40s and up. I have a theory about that. Okay. And my theory is that... Um, are they threat? Are we threatened? Well, my theory is that my generation... So I'm a baby boomer, born between 46 and 64. And, you know, we had Vietnam and uh-huh. assassinations and all that. But m- my theory looking back is that we looked all independent, but we always did things in a group. And I think your generation pulled away from that some so that you did some things in a group, smaller group than my generation. But y'all have done some things, just you just go do it. Mm-hmm. I think the 20-somethings are operating far more independently. And I think it's hard to maintain being whipped up, in my language, uh, or angry when you're operating independently. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, it doesn't get any feedback. Yeah. Is this a good thing? I hope. Yeah. I hope so because I, um, you know, there are numbers that can't even do sarcasm well. That don't, they don't get it if you're sarcastic. Fours don't do sarcasm well. Ones don't do sarcasm well, although they can be very mm-hmm, punishing with their verbiage. And, and I think um, Richard Rohr taught me a long time ago that opinions are uh, underdeveloped thinking. And I'm not sure you can say much that's important in 140 characters. Yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, I think that I, I think that might be underdeveloped thinking. And I think group thought is underdeveloped thinking. So the talk style for your Enneagram number is group thought. Uh, generally, uh, sixes will say what authorities say. Or sixes will say what the pastor says or what the teacher says. I'm not really experiencing that in my journey of getting to know you. I'd like to talk about that. I'd love to hear it. First of all, I was I want to say that I thought you were gonna say that someone told you opinions were like something else. Yeah. Okay, but just that was just my having yeah. a moment. That's good. I don't think that's a Richard Rohr quote. <laughs> no, no, let's no. not put that on him. <laughs> you know, I wanna tell you that I definitely fall into that of thinking what I've been told and by authority that's above me. It was probably about eight years ago that I took an intense discipleship class at my church. And in the first semester, I'm embarrassed to say out loud, I did think, I don't know why I need to learn this stuff. I trust Aaron, my husband. I trust our church. I trust my pastor. I just let's go with what they say. Uh, And so I learned a lot about myself in that because I had a little bit of pushback, thank goodness, Mm -hmm. uh, from people in leadership, actually. And the embarrassing thing for me now is I am all for women studying, if we're talking about Bible literacy, I'm all for that. And, but I had to work on that and I had to believe that I could. Yeah. And so that came from people around me telling me that I could and me then actually believing that I could and that it was worth it. And so I can still fall into that tendency. You know, 
I, I trust my, I don't think it's like a good marriage thing. I think it is just me. Like I just trust Aaron, my husband. Yeah. So much. Yeah. That's how I feel about Joe. I just would just, I I literally would follow him off a cliff. Not because I'm a weird, like in love I am. Yeah. But I also just think I lean towards that. Me too. And uh, you know, I'm so in love with Joe. If he went off a cliff, I'd want to go with him. Yeah. (laughs) But but one of the things I'm, I'm having a hard time avoiding uh, talking about your book, but I'm working on it because we're going to do that later. But one of the questions that I have in terms of church and authority figures and other circles where I'm trying to learn from somebody else. So there are two things that happen to me. One is if, if a speaker is dynamic and smart, if I'm not careful, I find myself just writing down everything they say. Mm-hmm. Like I don't ever question it. Right. And you're a questioner. So I want to I wanna hear who you question and what do you do with those questions. And when you hear somebody other than Aaron, do you think, well, is, is that so? Or, so, you know, there are people who uh, don't love that I call Six is the Devil's Advocate. And uh, in The Road Back to You, you know, if you co-author, you don't get everything your way. Mm-hmm. But in the path between us and since, I'm going back to the devil's advocate because I think that's part of your gift to sixes. And I think if we don't have more yes but people, we're all kind of going to follow somebody off the cliff. So where is your yes but side of you really dialed in and kind of at work? And where do you notice that you just kind of, Write stuff down. I notice, and I don't think I've ever thought about this until this moment. So this is this is hello verbal processing right now. But when you say that, and I think about it in the context of what you presented is listening to someone teach something or speak, the people that I trust, that I've given influence in my life and authority in my life, I do trust what they say. And I don't think I bring enough yes but to the table. Right. When I'm out of my uh, normal learning, teaching environment, if I'm on the road or I'm listening to a speaker somewhere or I'm listening to a podcast, I do bring a little bit more, let me hear what, let me think through this through a different lens, but I do see my sixth authority thing coming out when I'm like, if you line up here, here, and here, I will write down everything you say. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that can get me and us in trouble sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I've never really thought about it, but I think when I'm in situations where I don't know the person, I don't know their quote unquote credentials or whatever mm-hmm. you want to say, I would be a little bit more, is this, is this okay? And I would think it through my lens and then this is funny. I would then go, Hey, Aaron, this is what I heard. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Because here I am yeah, going back yeah, to, I yeah. trust you. Yeah. So, um, which thank goodness we have good men because yeah, yeah, there yeah. are a lot of, that do who don't that do what we do but don't have a, yeah 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 I uh, will show you later I have a picture on my phone of Joe and it's how he looks when he's saying no to me and I just look at it and think I should start there then <laughs> 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 work back so um, I, I have so much to ask and talk about with you about what you just said and one of the first things is this um, you know sixes are the number that's the most concerned about the common good. 
And sixes ask more questions than any number. And sixes ask harder questions than any number. So, and more importantly than all that, sixes don't trust themselves. So what concerns me is that in any setting, if I'm teaching in this room, if you're speaking anywhere, if you're in your church listening, if the yes but people don't ask questions, who challenges mm-hmm. the charismatic, mm-hmm. I've got the answers for this, yeah. and I'm, it's my job to give them to you so you can mm-hmm. have the answers too. Yeah. Who, who does that? Yeah. And my awareness is that if it's another aggressive number and not a six or a dependent number, then it doesn't turn into a question that's looking for a response. It turns into a position for disagreement. Mm-hmm. But also, who challenges it and stays? Because I would think an aggressive number in that position challenges it and says, I'm out. And, and leaves. Yeah. Like, I disagree with this completely, mm-hmm. or I don't know about that. And exactly. Where a six could challenge it and stay. Exactly. And sixes are really the only number that you can count on that kind of loyalty from. Nine's next, but sixes, if they're in, they stay. Mm-hmm. Their commitment is, I'm here, and I'm not leaving over silly stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When you said the four things that you said about six, what was the first one you said? Because the two, you, the last one was, can you just say them one more time? Maybe. We're spirit-led here. Yes. You know, we'll see. Uh-huh. Because the first two, I nod, yes, that's me. The second two... I don't feel I find myself that often, as in uh, asking the questions. Yep. So sixes are the people who ask questions, but they generally don't ask them in real time. Okay. So that's that comes up later. Okay. And they very often don't go back and ask. It's like, oh, well, that's past. And it's internal. Nobody's thinking about that anymore mm-hmm. and all that. And the reason they don't ask it in real time is because they don't trust themselves. That's That's big time for me. Yeah. With, with everything I do in life, from parenting to picking out a jean jacket, I don't trust myself. Yeah, okay, so we're, we're going to go away, and then we might come back to your okay. question in a minute. What's it going to take, Jamie? I don't know. Ivy? I mean, literally, what is it gonna take? before I go out, I cannot tell you all the girlfriends I text to ask if I can wear these two things together. Yeah. That's a dumb example, but, I mean, it's to the smallest things. Yeah. I don't think it's a dumb example because it is the way sixes connect with other people. Well, and in relationships, it's all those little things that it's dramatic to say kill other people. But, you know, that other number's like, oh, my God, pick out your clothes and come on. Yeah, yeah. Like, we will leave without you. Uh-huh. I, I will say when you say, what's it going to take? I do live events twice a year. We just had one this past weekend. Yeah. The very first time I did this, it was literally just an idea I had. And I did everything by myself. And when it came time to put the tickets up for sale, I thought, Surely no one will come to this. Yeah. They sold out in like seven minutes. Yeah. Yeah, my wife is jacked for the next one. <laughs> so the next time I did it, granted, it was a success. Sold out in seven minutes. I put the tickets up and I thought, what if no one comes? Yep. We've done this 10 times. It's less. I, I have a little bit more confidence that people are going to show up. But the thought enters my mind every single time. Yep. What if no one comes? Yep, me too. And they keep coming. I know. I've sold out of every event I've ever put on. The reason I'm asking you what it takes. Yeah, what does it take? Is because I'm asking myself. So what does it take? What is it in us that still says, you know, my way of talking about it 
to the people in the room is, I'm so surprised you're here. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't matter how big the room is or how many people it is. I'm always just surprised that they're there. And You know, one thing I've noticed is that since I've become more aware of this and talking with my husband about this, because to him that's dumb, that you would wonder. Yeah. What, what, I don't understand. You sell out every weekend. Really, are we still asking the same dumb question? Mm-hmm. And it's but, repressed thinking. Is it, it's like, hey... It's the same thing for both of us. You're exactly you're both repressed thinking. So think <laughs> like your husband says, think about it. <laughs> you sold out. It's going to sell out again. But me talking with him about what I actually, what goes through my brain and what right. I feel it's helped him a little bit more. He may say the same thing, yeah, but I think he says it better. Yeah. And that's been helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to hear that in a way that we can hear it, which is yes. causes more work on the other side. It does. People that tell us because that. that doesn't make sense to him of why he's trying, having to say this again for yeah. the 10th time. Yeah. Yeah. Remind me Aaron's number. Three. Three. He's a three. Yeah. So uh, as usual, you and Joe and Aaron are on the central triangle and I'm just out here <laughs> alone. So the dependent stance is what Joel's referring to. And it's a really important thing. And uh, we're both in that stance. And unfortunately, that means, or fortunately, I don't know, unfortunately, that means that we're both thinking repressed. And that has to do with good thinking, productive thinking. It's not just running stuff through our heads. It has to do with productive thinking. Where do you think you put your productive thinking energy and then where do you put your um, making up stuff? I think I've had to learn this the hard way because I've spent a lot of time with, when you say the making up stuff of this fear, mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of years sitting there. Um, and what I've had to learn the hard way is it, nothing changed by sitting there in that fear. Oh, that's good. Either it did or didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Most of the time it didn't. Didn't. We, we've never been hit on the side of the road yet. Yeah. Does part of you, though, think that's because you were pr- prepared and prayed up? <laughs> I'm ready. I know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I've got the kids. Exactly. Um, I'm just always... Ex- but I spent a lot of time there. But I'll tell you one thing, and I don't know if this, if this example helps, but the way I get through it faster, because it still happens daily. Yeah. I had a girlfriend one time when I was telling her about a fear of mine and she said, just take it all the way to the end. Like what happens if your whole family gets hit? And I go, okay, well we all get hit and that's how we went out. And I still believe that God is good. And I still like, she's like, take it all the way. Yeah. So for me, I used to just sit in the car accident. Uh Now I take it all the way Uh and then I'm finished with it. Yeah. So it's helpful for me, and that feels almost morbid to some people. No, I think it makes perfect sense, but, but I've never me, heard I've never heard a six say that. Well, to me, it makes me go, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Got it. I'm done. Got it. And it, it it gives me a little bit of hope, too. It's why I think I also love reading books that are kind of sad. Yeah. Memoirs. Yeah. Someone's kid gets sick. All, because I read it and I go, this is my greatest fear. Yep. And she survived. Yeah. I think that's helped me to not spend so much mental energy there because I still go there. I just don't stay as long. So maybe uh, part of what works for us, I've never thought about this before, is counterintuitive because, here's my example. 
Um, I'm a, I was a abused, sexually abused as a foreign exchange student when I was 16. Mm, I'm sorry. And thanks. And as a, an abuse survivor, I um, am sometimes triggered mm-hmm. by things in the news. And, yeah. Um, you know, but Law and Order, Special Victims Unit. I love that show so much. Well, I love it so much. And I, my therapist said, why? Yeah. And it's because it's solved. There's justice at the end. In an hour, there's justice, and it's solved. And even if it's not perfectly solved, it's still over. Mm. And I need that closure. The whole concept of things being over. So it's the same thing for me in a different way Mm -hmm. that it is for you. For me, too, um, a lot of it is relational. What am I going to lose in terms of relationship? Is that true for you, or are you worried about losing something else? What do you mean? Uh, well, in my uh, nobody came, or okay. I'm going to get there and nobody's going to be there, it's I, I don't have those relationships. It's like, where where was everybody? Why didn't they want me? Like, for me, it's a me thing, and I bet it's not that for you. It's not. Yeah. To me, it's, I'm not good at my job. Mm. I wasn't good enough. They don't believe in the work I do. Which I don't know if that comes from a three. I don't, I don't know. It's both. It's both. I, I, because I think I sometimes believe this false sense that they're not really showing up for me. It's just my job. And that seems weird. Well, it, because it, I also am very relational. Yeah. I really am. Yeah, you are. And it is... One of my favorite things, and I bet I would imagine you feel this way too. I love when people, I just got stopped in the hotel by this man and he was like, my wife loves your podcast. That never gets old to me. Oh, I will sign books all day long. I will take pictures. I will hug necks because to me, I feel like I'm so grateful that you, A, support the work that I believe in mm-hmm. and that you had the courage to stop. I, I love that. Well, I, I... I'm all in for, you know, anybody says, can I take my picture with you? The answer is yes. Will you sign my book? It's always yes. And I love doing all that. But I'm in, I'm in for a completely different reason. And my reason for being in is they want me. Mm. And your reason is they respect my work. Yeah. So I hope people, there are a lot of people struggle with two and six. I hope this is really helping Mm. them. All right. I want to move on with you now. Um, this is like the best counseling session I've never paid for. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel a little that way myself <laughs> and I'm, I think it's fun to watch the two of us figure out who's interviewing who. All right. So <laughs> here we go. What is the relationship between shame and authority in the church? Mm. How much time do we have? You just go and we'll see. You know, something that I have encountered, and I know we're going to talk about my book later, but I talk a lot about shame that I felt. Mm -hmm. Um, And I grew up in the church, so I've been a part of the church my whole entire life. And so the connection is a little bit sticky because, like I said, I am a fan of the church and I hate throwing her under the bus, but I can honestly say we have done some things wrong with the way that we have treated... um, women in the church with the way that we have treated people who come forward with either abuse, um, sexual sin, um, even 
not even like sin issues, but just like depression and anxiety. Um, it's, we have sometimes on purpose, sometimes inadvertently put shame on people Mm -hmm. for confession, admitting, admitting they have a problem, all kinds of things. Um, which if you get down to it, the craziest thing is, is that none of that is what God ever puts on his people ever. Right. He is the exact opposite of that. Yet we feel that so much. And I think that for a long time we created this culture in the church and maybe even outside, but speaking specifically in the church of you need to just look like you have it all together. Uh, If you don't have it all together, just look like it because then you look like a good church person. Yep. And so then it's very clear. No one has it all together. Mm -hmm. I don't have it all together. And so then what happens is we feel as though I need to look as though I have it all together. And so then I feel shame because I'm not my true self. And we feel as though that's coming from the church, whether it is or whether it isn't. Mm-hmm. We feel that. And so then we have a whole culture of people growing up. I would say mainly, hopefully, like 30-year-olds and up. I feel like this is changing. Mm-hmm. That are walking around feeling as though they're not good enough for God. Yep. yep. Um, and it's just not true. It's not true. It's for sure uh, a misrepresentation or a misunderstanding of an accurate representation, perhaps, that uh, meritocracy determines whether or not we're loved and mm-hmm. valued. And, um, you know, I'm one of those everybody's in people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm everybody's in because the reality of my life and my story, and I know that I'm in, mm-hmm. you know, or I'm, I'm not sure where that comes from. I do think that um, to come full circle to kind of where we started with talking about social media and all that, there's an enormous amount of shaming. And I wish that we could start a conversation about a difference in shaming and bullying. Mm. Because I actually think that with a few people in your corner, you can overcome being bullied. But I think we... we have to start addressing the question, was that shaming or was that bullying? And I think we receive shaming without knowing that we're taking it in and allowing it to affect us because it's not bullying. feels different. Yeah. And well, so it I looks think, different maybe. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we don't push and back. it's so internal, whereas the bullying is so external. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a... It, we cannot love one another well if we can't love ourselves well. Mm. We're just not going to get there, I don't think. And I I think the Enneagram helps with that because it helps us understand the things we do that just don't work. Yeah. So your passion on the Enneagram is fear, but I say that it's better described as anxiety because you're worried about primarily worried about possible future events. Will the people show up for the event that is sold for example, out nine times? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I, and when I take that into mothering, that brings on a whole nother because another idea, because I think moms feel as though, oh, we are worried about our kids, but I'm like really worried about a few things. And my kids have given me no sign that I should be worried about that. But I'm just almost convinced it probably will happen and then what and and, and, and how, there's how old are they the oldest is 15 15 i bet that's gotten harder and harder as they get older very much so i also you know to throw a whole nother thing into the onto the field is i'm a white woman raising black boys mm-hmm. and so 
that's a whole nother conversation of fear that comes inside of me that many black women have been living with their entire lives. Oh yeah. Keep talking. And so now here I am of trying to figure out how do I, how do I find my way of parenting my boys really well? And I have a black daughter as well, but parenting my boys really well, not giving into my fear, but not pacifying it because it doesn't affect me because I'm a white woman. I'm feeling things that most of my white friends won't feel because of my kids. Mm-hmm. Like I feel what I worry for them. Mm-hmm. What I worry for them will never happen to me. Yep. I'm not worried that I'll be stopped by it. And, and I'm not, if someone says police, I'm not bashing on any institution. I'm sure. just saying, I never worry when I walk into store if someone's going to watch me. I never worry when I get pulled over that something bad's going to happen. I never worry about walking at night with a hoodie on. I never worry about those things. I lose sleep over those things for my boys. Yep. And so when things in the news happen, it becomes this intense fear inside of me. And I've had to realize, I think it's okay but I, I don't, it, it, I mean, it's just this battle of how much is okay and how much am I just living in fear when I should not be so fearful. I mean, I think we it just is. have to be more and more aware. So this happened at my house this morning. I'm at the front of the house opening the shutters and we live in a faux gated neighborhood, meaning there's this big gate with the box uh-huh. and all that. And uh, then there's an alley, and the alley says there is no outlet. Well, the outlet is through the gate. Right. <laughs> so if you come up the alley, you can get into the neighborhood. There's only 18 houses, uh-huh. and then you can leave through the gate. Right. right. So I I'm, haven't dressed yet, and Joe's ready to go to the church, and I say, uh, I went to open the shutters in my office, and I look outside, and I said, Joe, there are two guys who I don't think can get in the gate, and looks like they need to. So they've come in the walking gate. And um, I said, why don't you see if you can help them? So Joe goes out on the porch and says, can I help you? And the guy says, uh, yes, sir, I, I, I'm just here to read the water meters, but we can't get in. Mm-hmm. And Joe gave him our code. But then Joe said, you know, you, you can just come up the alley. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, look at us. That wouldn't be a good thing for us to do because they were two black men. And Joe said, you're just doing your job. And he said, hey, man. Like, are you a preacher or something? <laughs> Joe said, well, yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah, and it was like, you don't. I, and I stood there in my office and thought, I'm never going to get it. Yeah. But you get it. I get it as much as I can. Yeah. I, I never want to claim to get it, get it. Because my skin is still the same. Yeah. But I get it in a way because I'm raising black boys. And, and I mean, and the scary part is I've had to, I've had to internally address some of my own upbringing sure. and some of my own fears that yep. just culturally have been put there. I have great parents, but culturally I've grown up white my whole life. Some things have been put in there. Um, and so it, that, and I don't know if it's larger because of my Enneagram number, but that's where a lot of my fear comes from these days of my 13-year-old black son with dreads who could pass for 16. Yeah, he's pretty darling. Yeah. So here's the deal. Um, I'm going to tell you two things. This is, this is older woman talking to younger woman. Uh, the first is, I really worried too about my kids. And the most dangerous things that happened to mine, I never thought of. Mm. So, like I... I, it just never crossed my mind that that thing would happen. Mm-hmm. So all the stuff I worried about, 
Um, and the follow-up is, and my kids are great, and they're all doing great, and they range in age from 30 to 40. So um, there is no not worrying mm-hmm. for you or me or most moms. We just worry in different ways. Yeah. The second thing is, um, I had a woman come talk to me in L.A. a few weeks ago because uh, she's an eight. She came up to me and she said, I have a special needs child and I'm so afraid that the fact that I'm an eight is making things worse. And I kind of heard in you saying, you know, because of my number, I might be more worried than I should be. I said to her, it's a real gift when a special needs child has an eight mama Mm. because you're going to see to it that she gets everything she needs. It's a real gift when four black boys have a white mama Mm. or four black kids Mm. have a white mama. It's a big gift because you're worried about things that other numbers would, would simply say, we're not, we're not living in that. Mm-hmm. We don't, that's not how we do it here. That's mm-hmm. not what we think, right? So I think your kids are just pretty lucky. Thank you. I would not do as a very good job at that, I don't think. I think I would see all the positive side of mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right, right now we're not touched by that. So mm-hmm. we don't need to worry about. Yeah. And that's, that would not be a helpful response, yeah. I don't think, for, for them. Thank no, you. I think um, I, I think reasonable fear is something that some other numbers lack. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you wish people knew about sixes? I think what I I've mentioned this already, but one of the best things um, that I think my husband has learned about me is that I'm not just sitting around having crazy thoughts all the time about the worst case scenario Mm -hmm. um, that I don't want to always imagine the worst case. Like I think he used to think, do you just look for these things? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's been super helpful for me to explain to him and him to understand. I literally just see things differently. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just see things differently. And so um, I think I would want people to understand is that you can still encourage us to not be afraid and to not think about these things. Like I still need that. I don't need you to just say, Oh, Jamie, just live in your fear. But at the same time to do it in a way that doesn't say this is really dumb what you're thinking, because at the end of the day, I know it's dumb. I really do. Like I know that that one time when I left a movie theater because I was so afraid of this man in a trench coat, I couldn't even watch the movie. I had to leave rationally. That's dumb. I get it. I still left a movie theater because I was so afraid. And I made Aaron leave with me, and he was so mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, yeah, it, it's a, that whole way of seeing is a big thing. It's a very big thing. So um, Laura, my assistant, has done some video interviews for people who want to be in the cohort. And um, one guy who is a six said something like, I'm just now getting to a place where I can go out to eat at a fast food place and not figure out which chairs are screwed to the floor so that if I need to protect myself, I'll know which chair to pick up. That thought would not cross my mind in 1,000 years. But if the tradition of Enneagram wisdom that I come through is correct, and if a high percentage of people are sixes, a lot of people are thinking about that. We know where the exits are. 
I know if the door to my Uber driver, if the, my door is locked or unlocked, what if I need to do like a rollout? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, y'all, I'm ready. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, when I first I started, I, I, I use Ubers every time I travel now, but when I first started, this is, this is, this is an example right now on your Uber app, you can share your ride with someone. Yeah. I share it with Aaron every time I get in the car. About three months ago, I asked him, I said, do you see that? He goes, yeah, I see it, but I'll never look at it. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, I'm letting you know where yeah. I am when I'm missing. <laughs> right. He's not even concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Does dad and know I would love it. Ride sharing. Oh, my gosh. Dad wouldn't even remember. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> if I told Joe that, if, if Joe and I, if I did it, and then I asked Joe three months later, he wouldn't even remember that I asked. You were in Uber in L.A.? Right. What? Yeah. See, for me, I'm thinking when my kids start Ubering, I'm going to demand that they share with me where they are. Of course you are. All right. I'm going to, until they're married, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to uh, lean back and invite the two of you to have a conversation about, um, this is presumptuous, Jamie, but I'm assuming that you're a six with a seven wing. You're right. Yeah. That's not a hard thing to figure <laughs> out. And Joel is a seven and we thought, I thought, we thought for a long time that he had an eight wing. And about two years ago, he looked at me and said, man, I have a six wing for sure. So I'd like to hear you guys just talk about the fact that you, you know, all the words that I would say to ask the question that has to do with whose wing is whose and all that. That is what I want you to talk about. When you were talking about, I, I have one crazy irrational fear. I think just one one that is way bigger than anything else and that is about children especially mine but in balconies mm -hmm. or oh it is like we can't at church one sunday josie is the size of a football i'm holding her we're like four rows back and i was like we're never sitting up here again like what if i trip what if oh yeah like i have this awful thing about balconies when we uh when jolie and i lived with Joey for a little bit and she has a two-story house and the whole, the rail, the rails are solid and everything, but what if one of those rails snaps oh, yep. and, and it is horrifying hotels. The ones that we stay at, what are we Hilton people? Uh -huh. And so it's that one embassy suite. Oh always yes. They're same all design, the way up. Yes. Up, and that is the most terrifying. It is terrifying. Oh, well, you know, this is so morbid, but surely someone's listening that has done that does this. Every time I'm on, this is I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. Every time I'm next to a balcony, I promise you, this is so awful. I imagine myself falling over. It's, it's not suicidal, right? No, but I literally imagine myself falling over mm -hmm. the balcony, and then I get a weird feeling in my stomach, and then I move on. I, I it, I've never said that out loud to anyone because it sounds sick and have to move. It sounds over. irrational. Well, I've always taught that fives visualize their fear, but are you, do you, Joel? Do you visualize? Yeah, only with this one thing. I'm telling you, this is. I, do you visualize tripping and losing the Joseph? It, it's very real. Yeah, none of my, so the way it's visualized isn't crazy. It's not, and what I have to do, now this is embarrassing. What I have to do is see it all the way through and then put some sort of, um, imaginative fantastical superhero ending to it 
So like you I fall trip over, and then Jolie you... goes over and Jolie flies back up mm-hmm. and and she's safe and you're and, off the balcony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the that's so seven and you don't do that. I would guess. No, I like I die at the bottom of the balcony. Yeah, yeah. I can't have. There's a... no superhero coming in. So for people who are listening, I think what I've just learned is that <laughs> as six is as the core number, in some ways represent both five and seven. One of the ways is dealing with this uh, piece of your worlds and you both visualize the way a five would and you can't have a magical ending the way a seven. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's a real struggle for me at churches, at church. My husband is on stage leading worship. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen the entire scene in my head of someone coming in and, it's so morbid, like someone coming in and shooting my husband in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the entire thing play out. And there's no superhero. Like, he's dead, and I saw it. Joe, and that is... I've played out the same thing, except guess who's packing and saves the day. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I need more of what that in my life. What do we have in the hymnal? That's, it's a fake one. <laughs> that's fascinating. That funny. Joe, uh, when he was still a Catholic priest, Joe spent five summers in Mexico because he has a he's bilingual and he has a master's degree in Spanish and um, some guy came from the back wielding a knife speaking in Spanish just letting Joe have it as a priest and he tells this whole story about what there? happened oh no okay no I, that was long before I okay um, that's just it's just fascinating how different we are because we actually in one of our churches uh, had an antagonist I mean, every church has an antagonist, mm-hmm. but we had an in one of our churches, the antagonist um, told some people that he felt like Daniel had called him, uh, the book of Daniel, had called him to a, a living out a reckoning that Joe needed. And he gave a particular chapter and verse, and it says, I will kill your family before you. And then he started coming out of the choir and sitting behind me Mm-mm. and nope. the kids every Sunday in church. I and would not have been at church, Suzanne. Well, I went to Joe and said, look at this. Yeah. And he said, ah, that's not going to happen. And that's so nine. And, you know, I, we're all three getting a little whipped up. But <laughs> the very thing that's happening right now for us is the wisdom of the Enneagram because Joe lives in a world as a nine where he wants to be unaffected by Mm. life. And so he doesn't allow thinking about life to affect him either, right? He doesn't make up stuff that's going to, that I'm going to be dead or that Joel's going to come with the gun from the hymnal and save the day. (laughs) That's the best. (laughs) All right. um, What do you think? Y'all keep going. Okay. The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solvay Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit theenneagramjourney.org for more information, and we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.